0: Well, good weekend. Whoa, good weekend to you. you know, like, how you doing? Everybody all right? You alive? You are well? All right, 111th, everybody's alive and well there as well. All right, it's a brand new series, and I'm very, very excited about the brand new series. And I will be selling pickles a little bit later on in the uh, weekend experience here. But uh, anyway... I see where all of your attention is. Uh, We call our brand new series, Stick and Stay. And talk about stick. I was in a very sticky situation this past week. My sunglasses had broken and I tried to fix them. And I decided, because I couldn't find any of the, the little screws, you know, those little screws they put in there, I couldn't find any. I decided to use super glue and that way they'd be permanently fixed. So I found an old tube of super glue, and uh, I couldn't get the glue out. And so then I, I took a, a paper clip, very ingenious in, in here, unfolded it, and I, and I poked it down, you know, the hole. And so I've got the tube in one hand, and I poked it in the other, and all of a sudden it broke loose. Like the, the, the clog came out, except all the super glue went all over my left hand. And it's called super glue for a reason. That stuff is nasty. It took me about 45 minutes just to get my hand usable again. And most of the rest of the day to finally get that stuff off. I was with one hand on my computer on the internet trying to find out what it takes. And it said acetone, like in nail polish. So I ran upstairs to, my, to the bathroom. I dug through my wife's stuff. She wasn't there. I got in big trouble for that. And I looked for a nail polish remover. And she had some. But it was non-acetone. So I go back to the internet and I find out you can use salt and you rub salt. So anyway, it was quite a mess. And I, I could have kicked myself later on because I thought all I needed was some duct tape. If I had just gone for the duct tape, I could have fixed those glasses and probably created a work of art in the process. Because duct tape is so absolutely amazing, isn't it? I just love duct tape. You say, Pastor, what is this deal about duct tape in this series, Stick and Stay? Well, I just really like duct tape. I mean, it's amazing stuff. It's is, it is just so sticky. It, it has great adhesive power, and you can bond things and bind things together with with uh, duct tape. And you know what? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be sticky as well. And we are called to stick and to bond. For instance, we are to stick to our faith, right? And we are, as believers, to stick to one another in faith. And, as we're going to learn this weekend, we have been called to stick out in the world with our faith so that others will be attracted in relationship to Christ and to his church, and to his faith. So in many ways, we want to be just like duct tape, except we want to be that way in the most holy sense of that, causing people to come into a fixed relationship with God and with his church. So the question out there for each of us this weekend is simply this. Will you stick out with your faith in the world around you? Will you take seriously making Christ known to the world so that people could have a relationship with him and therefore a relationship with his body called the church in order to make a difference in this world? That was the question that was in the minds of the disciples, those first followers of Jesus, when he spoke his final words on earth to them. Those words are found in the Scripture, so take your Bibles out or whatever electronic equipment you have your Bible on, and turn to the very first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Please turn there with me. Matthew, excuse me, chapter 28. And I want to read what Jesus says here in a fairly well-known passage of Scripture called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus comes to his disciples and he tells them that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And then he says, Therefore, based on this authority and based on all that I've accomplished, death and resurrection, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, flip over to the book of Acts for just a moment, because I want you to see some more of our Lord's final words on earth to his followers. Acts chapter 1, the very first chapter of Acts. If you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you'll come to the book of Acts and listen to what Jesus says in in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we're going to be looking at both passages so you might just want to kind of keep them handy. Jesus says to us that he wants us to make a difference in the world and his early followers must have been asking themselves will I act on what Jesus has said? Will I go stick out in this pagan world with my faith and all the benefits that that might bring as well as the consequences And the same question rings true for you and for me. Will we individually and will we as the Compass Church, will we live our faith out loud in the culture that surrounds us? Now, some people say that the passages I just read for you doesn't really apply to us, that those words were only for those first disciples who followed Jesus. But I disagree for two reasons. First of all, I disagree because Jesus said to them, And I will be with you until the end of time, or the end of the age. Now, the disciples have lived and died and gone to be with the Lord. But the end of the age has not come yet. So who is the Lord with? The Lord is with the disciples who've come after them. You and me. Secondly, in the grammar that's used here, When he says, go and make disciples, it's in what's called the present continuous tense, which simply means that what Jesus was saying is, go and keep on going. Make disciples and keep on making disciples. Baptize and keep baptizing. Teach and keep teaching. And I will be with you. All right. Always in the book of Acts to the ends of the earth. So, those words that we discover there in Matthew and in the book of Acts, they belong to you and they belong to me as well. They are Jesus' command to us. They are His promise to us to always be with us as well. See, but I can't. I just can't imagine being used like that by God. I I just feel so insignificant. I feel so ordinary. I mean, those were the disciples. I mean, you know, that's Peter and and that's John. I mean, look at me. I'm just, you know, I'm a nobody. That is so good. I'm glad you're a nobody in your own mind because those first disciples, those first followers of Jesus, they were nobodies too. They were as ordinary as you can get. Most of them were poor fishermen. One of the guys worked for the IRS of his day. Another one of them had a severe case of doubting. And another guy was just bad to the bone. They were a ragtag group of men who Jesus called to follow him. And you know, if you read the Bible carefully, you'll notice that God specializes and enjoys calling the most ordinary men and women because he then can use them in the most extraordinary ways. It's when our pride and our self-importance gets in the way that God can no longer use us. So he likes, he likes inviting us to great things when we become aware of how weak we are and how, how scared we are that we can't accomplish it. He, he enjoys that because he knows that we're going to have to depend on him. We're going to have the thrill of being used by him and he'll receive the glory because people will look at us and say, there's no way you can do that. There must be something supernatural about you. And that is who? That is the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So here's the question. Are you ready to get in the game? Will you stand out with your faith? Will the Compass Church, as a community of believers, will we stand up and stand out and be attractive with the faith that God has given us in the work that he's doing in and through our lives. You say, well, what's involved in that? I mean, what does that really mean? Well, our Lord tells us right away in the passage of Scripture. Notice what he says. He says, the first thing we're to do is to go. Is to go. Everybody say just that. Very simple word with me. Go. Ready? One, two, three. Go. Even 111th. Here we go. One more time. Ready? Go. I love what Henry Blackaby wrote in his study, Experiencing God. If You've never done that study. you got to do it. Henry Blackaby is called Experiencing God. In that study, he said something that has stayed with me ever since I read it years and years ago. He simply said, you cannot go with God and stay where you are. And that is so true. Our God is a God of movement and a God of momentum. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. Because God is on the go to change the world. And because we are God's chosen followers, because we are his messengers and messages, we must go with him. Well, where do we go? Well, Jesus says where we're supposed to go in this passage of Scripture. He said to all the nations. And in the book of Acts, He actually broke it down. He said to to His disciples, you'll start in Jerusalem, hometown. Then you're going to go a little bit further out, and that's Judea. And then a little further out in Samaria. And then He says even to the ends of the earth. So if we think about it this way, what the Lord is calling us to do, and you'll hear me say this many times here, He's calling us to be effective for Him here. He's calling us to be effective for Him near. And He's calling for us to be effective far away. So we talk about taking our mission here, near, and far. Locally, regionally, And globally, we are to be constantly on the go making a difference. So, well, how do we do that? Well, in Acts chapter 1 8, Jesus says that we are to be his witness. We are to be a witness of him to the world. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that next weekend. You don't want to miss that that message. But for right now, let's just ask the question what does a witness do? Well, a witness just simply tells somebody else what they have heard, what they have seen, or what they have experienced. There's nothing complicated about that. And all God wants you and me to do is to tell people that we come in contact with in a gentle, loving way what we've seen, what we've heard, and most importantly, what we've experienced in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all he wants us to do. Now, people can argue with you about theology all they want. But there's one thing a person cannot argue with, and that is what you've truly experienced. They have to at least acknowledge you've had that experience. And we are to witness that. And I said, next weekend we'll talk more about that. And I think you'll be very surprised at what I'm going to share with you next weekend. I think it's going to be insightful into terms of what it means to be a witness. So make sure you're here and bring your friends with you as well. So what are we then to do as witnesses? Well, Jesus says something very interesting in the passage of Scripture. He says we are to make disciples. Our goal in witnessing is to make disciples. Well, how do you make a disciple? I mean, I saw the little gingerbread men hanging up here at our Hobson campus, and I, and I thought, you know, they've been cut out, Right? And uh, done nicely, by the way, and decorated very nicely. And, you know, as I look at those figures that represent people in all sorts of backgrounds, from all over, you know, that we're to have contact with, I'm reminded that to make a disciple is not to simply go and create cookie-cutter Christians, carbon copies of the rest of us. To make a disciple involves more than just filling someone's mind with a bunch of biblical information. That's not what it means to make a disciple. To make a disciple goes beyond giving somebody information about God. It also involves a relationship with Christ. I want to help somebody learn how to think like Christ and how to conduct their life like Christ does, which is something we are always doing. I am always in the process of growing as a believer. Until I see Jesus someday, I won't be complete. Neither are you. And so as disciples, we are always working with each other, helping each other think more like Jesus. And so important, learning to behave like Christ as well. Now, part of the process of making disciples, Jesus says, Is then to baptize them. Look what he says in the passage again with me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, last weekend, Renee mentioned this, all right? Last weekend, we saw about a hundred or so people baptized. At both campuses. It was thrilling. It was exciting. It was was a beautiful outward expression of something that happened to them internally, spiritually speaking. And I want us to kind of get a little deeper sense of what baptism means here. Because what we experience in a baptismal service is only an outward kind of temporary expression of something that has happened in the person's life. In order for us to do that, we got to look at the Greek here for a few minutes because this word "baptize" uh, in the Greek comes from two other words that refer to baptism, and this is when I feel like uh, Gus Portocallo's in uh, what's that uh, uh, movie called? Uh, My. My big fat Greek wedding. Is that right? Right? And I love that guy. You know, he talks about protocolos, right? The Greek. is what it means. Okay? So here we go, all right? There are two words in the Greek from which we get baptized. Uh, The first word that we get is the word bapto. All right? So you can write that down. It's bapto. The second word from which we get baptism is baptizo. All right? B-A-P-T-I-Z-O. That's how you can transliterate it. Bapto Baptizo. What does it mean? Well, we get insight into what it means from a poet and a physician named Nicander, who in 200 B.C. gave us a recipe for making pickles. Hence the pickles that you see here on the stage. This is a cucumber, right? And Nicander says... You take the vegetable, the cucumber, and you bapto it in boiling hot water. And then you pull it back out again. And what you now have is a boiled cucumber. He says, then what you do is you take it. I love that sound because I love pickles. All right. <laughs> he says, you then take it and you then baptizo it. In the vinegar. And you leave it there. When I bapto the cucumber, it is temporary in the boiling water. When I baptizo the cucumber in the brine or the vinegar, there is a transformation. My mouth is watering. (laughs) There is a transformation that takes place. Okay? It is still a cucumber, but it is a cucumber That is now pickled. Oh, love that taste. I love pickles. All right? And it is permanently changed. You could suck on this thing all day long, extract that juice, but it has been changed. It is now baptized. It is now cured by the vinegar. It has, in essence, changed because it has been baptized. What Jesus says we're to do is we are to go... All right? We are to go into the world and we are to baptize. Or we are to help people experience a permanent transformation by bringing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as this vinegar pickle solution baptizes those pickles and gives it the flavor and the change. So when somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a change that takes place in their life. They are adopted by the Father, they are washed clean of their sins by the Son, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a change. That is a supernatural, miraculous change that takes place in their life. And we are to go out and be all about seeing people's lives transformed. That's why Jesus then goes on and says, and you're to teach these new disciples my commandments. And the word there that he uses for teaching them means more than just giving them information. Information. And unfortunately, in our Western world, we have a tendency, and I I don't even like the term Christian education, we have a tendency to take people and we think of discipleship as sticking people in a room and educating them about God. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he did not build a room in Capernaum and stick them in there for three and a half years and cram their heads full of knowledge about God. How would you like to be operated on by a doctor who just, his only experience of medicine was sit in a class for four years and learn and watch on TV and in books how operations take place. Would you want that person to operate on you? No way, right? Right? You want somebody who's had the experience of actually operating. They've been mentored. They stood by a, a, a surgeon that knows what he or she is doing. And they've slowly helped out until they became proficient. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he called them into a classroom called life. And for three and a half years, they did life together. There's nothing wrong with a classroom experience here and there, like a booster, right? And there's nothing wrong with getting information. But discipleship goes way beyond just getting our head full of knowledge. Discipleship is doing life together. That's why one of the huge values that we have here at the Compass Church, and we're going to turn the the burner up on it this, this coming ministry season, is life groups. Life groups is where you and other believers get together, and with a leader, you practice the faith together. You go deeper in the faith together. I'll tell you more about that in just a couple of minutes. But notice what it says in the text. In Matthew, Jesus says, And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will be with you. I'm not asking you to go out there and do this on your own. And in the book of Acts, what does Jesus say? He says to his disciples, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So what God asks us to do is not to to do ministry on our own strength. But he says to us, I'll empower you. I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will work with you. I will work in those lives. I will radically transform you as you seek to accomplish my mission. But here's a little problem. You know, here in America, over 80% of the population claims to be Christian. Now, if that is true, why are we in such a moral wreck? It's so many people claim to be Christian. I would venture to say one reason is because a lot of people who call themselves Christians aren't really born-again Christians. They've just given mental assent to something somebody said about God. They said a casual little prayer after watching, you know, a crusade on television or coming to a church at the end of a sermon or watching a television evangelist. And they just said that prayer like it was a a magic incantation. And now I'm born again. I got my fire insurance. That is not, that's not what it means to be born again. To be born again means to come to grips that I am a sinful human being. That I don't deserve God's grace or God's love. He has come to grips with the fact that, that I need to repent of my sins. Which means I need to walk away from my sins. Make a conscious choice to say no to sin. And it means to accept the love and the forgiveness of God. No matter what my guilty conscience tells me. Once I sincerely mean it. To accept and believe by faith that God has forgiven me. And then seek to obey him day by day. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be infused with God. But you know, I think there's another problem why we see such moral wreckage in our culture today here in America. It's because so many believers are toying with sin. Yes, we've been born again and we started off on the right foot, but somewhere along the way we've been snagged by sin. And we're toying with sin in our lives. And God can't possibly use us because we're messing with sin. And it makes us powerless. It makes us spiritually impotent. And God can't use us. And there's some of us this weekend, you know, who are messing with pornography. No wonder our prayers aren't heard. No wonder our family or our life is a mess. No wonder we wonder why, you know, heaven feels like there's a brick wall there. You're messing with sin. Some of us are harboring a bad attitude. Some of us have anger, resentment. Some of us are bitter. Some of us are stuck in the sin of gossip. Some of us are into some kind of addiction. And God can't use us. And there's only one thing I can tell you you got to do. Stop it. You just have to stop it. Well, I, my feelings, forget about your feelings. Don't live by your feelings. That is the dope of our culture today. How I feel or don't feel. It's an act of the will. Stop it. Stop it and come clean with God. Amen. And when you come clean with God... Then you'll start to realize God's power. And when a church collectively comes clean with God, that church, that community of believers, begins to experience the powerful moving of the Spirit. And Satan knows that, and that's why he's throwing everything he can at every one of us to distract us, to delude us, to keep us from being the movers and shakers that God wants us to be in the world. Which is what he wants us to be, movers and shakers in the world. That's what it means. That's what it means to stand out with your faith. That's the mission that God has called us to. God wants us to go and make a difference, does not stand idly by while the world and while our culture goes to hell. In a video version of the NPR uh, radio program, The American Life, years ago, a photojournalist by the name of Marcus um, Halivi was interviewed. And in the process of the interview, Marcus Halevi shared that oftentimes photojournalists, in order to capture their story, will stand in the sidelines while people undergo misfortune or disasters because they've got to get their story. And then he tells of an incident that happened in his life on the East Coast when he was sent to take pictures of a storm, and I'll let him finish his story with you on this interview. Watch.
1: They wanted a picture of the storm, so I went to nearby Plum Island, walked out on the beach, and there was this one figure standing by the ocean, looking out She was drinking a beer, which you can't see in this picture, and having a smoke, and uh, a split second after this picture was taken, a wave came in, hit the embankment below her feet, knocked the sand out, and she went sliding into the water. I was probably at least 50 feet away from her, shooting with a telephoto lens. She was in the water, either in shock or just drunk or whatever. And I thought about, OK, am I going to try to make a rescue? Uh, I've already got the shot I need. I turned around uh, within 100 feet of me. There was a lifeguard. So uh, I continued to photograph the, uh, the sequence. Was someone who was with the lifeguard who got there first. He rushed to her, was ready to reach out and grab her hand and pull her to safety. But at the last second, something stopped him.
0: Halibi goes on in the interview and says that there were probably enough seconds while he was observing this woman, even before these folks that tried to rescue her showed up, that he could have actually dropped his camera and probably saved her life. He says, I made a conscious choice that I had to get the story, and she died. He then goes on and says, you know, ever since then, I won't take these assignments anymore. I only take the fun and easy ones because I can't deal with the burden." You know, when I saw that picture and I thought about that life drowning there with that arm extended wanting help, I asked myself, if I had been Marcus Halivi, at the moment that I saw that woman fall into the surf, would I have dropped my camera and run to rescue her? I hope so. And I hope if you had been with me that day, you would have run out there with me and in those few precious seconds, we could have saved a life. That woman's hand sticking out of the serp is a picture of people in our world today here, near, and far that are drowning in sin, in guilt, in shame, and in pain and they're looking for somebody to come along and rescue them. And no politician's going to be able to do it. And no secular agency can do it. The only ones who can rescue them are the followers of Christ. You and me. The Church of Jesus Christ. I totally concur with Bill Hybels, who said that the Church of Christ is the hope of the world. Why? Because we carry the message of the Savior. People's arms are extended out, and I don't have time to argue about whether predestination is true or not. I don't have time to argue about what other churches do or don't do. I don't have time to argue about methods and strategies. I got to get in the surf. I got to help somebody out i got to deliver them to safe and dry land. That's what God called us to do. That's what he's called you and me to do. To reach our hands out and compel people to embrace that hand that represents the hand of Christ and come and follow him. To spread the hope of the gospel here, near, and far. If you want our mission and vision slogan, you can read it there in the Navigator. But listen, people don't get saved by slogans. They get saved by people getting in the surf. People getting involved, people deciding not to be spectators on the sidelines, but to get in there and make a difference. And that's what this whole coming series is about, and what this whole next ministry year is about. And to help you and me understand it better, we've broken it up into four values that I hope we will bleed as the Compass Church. The first value is very simple. We want to connect people. As a church, we want to connect people in relationship to Jesus Christ and each other. The second value is very simple. We want people to grow in their understanding and the application of God's word in their lives. The third value is we want people to serve. We want them to serve others by extending the love of christ to those people who are near us and far away from us in the most tangible ways that's getting in the surf and getting our hands wet and dirty taking risks with the oncoming tsunami to save somebody's life connect grow serve, and we want to reach and we'll talk a lot about that next weekend we want to reach people here near and far with the hope of the gospel and bring as many in as we can and I'm asking you the question, are you in or are you out? Are you willing, are you willing to get in the surf and make a difference? I want to tell you about one huge opportunity that's coming up that's in the grow area. You know, I, I said earlier that, you know, discipleship is, is, a, is a classroom experience that takes place in the classroom of life, not in a sterile kind of classroom. And the best way to make that happen are through our gro- is through our life groups. And so we're gonna be launching in just a couple of weeks sermon based life groups. I'm gonna be asking all of our life groups, won't make you, but I'm gonna ask you to please consider becoming a sermon based life group. And all of our new life groups be sermon based. Why? Because I want you to start taking what you hear on the weekends and I want you to take it to a whole deeper level in terms of application in your group and practice and understanding. We've got some great sermon series that are coming up that will help you do that. For instance, the next sermon series in October is, is all about hoarding. You know how popular that is on television, right, these days? Hoarding. You know, it, we live in a materialistic culture. And I'm going to be talking about the onslaught of materialism against your life, your family's life, and how to combat that, how to deal with that with your family, with your kids, and your own life. Now, what a great opportunity to be in a sermon-based life group and talk about that and take it deeper and hold each other accountable. And then in November, I'm going to do a series, never done it before, in the book of Esther. You know, Esther is a t- strategic book to understand in these days because Esther and the Jewish people faced extinction there in Persia. You know, there's an there's a onslaught against Christianity in our world and even in America today trying to shut us down. How should we do it? How should your kids and your grandkids deal with it? We're going to talk about that. December, we're going to talk about what it means to be surprised by God. It's going to be a great series. The different ways he surprises us. And then in January, February, March, we dip into the book of Revelation. Now, folks, you're going to want to be in a life group through all those sermon series to take what you hear and dig deeper, but not just dig deeper, but say, how do we live this out in our lives? How do we live this out in our small church called our life group? If you'd be interested in help us lead one of those, then right after service here at the Hopson Campus, you go out the doors and hang a right in our information center. You'll see one of our symbols there. It says growth. And Pastor Rich will tell you how to do it at 111th. But the question, the question is, are you going to get in the game? Are we just going to be bystanders or are we going to make a difference? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to make a difference? Or are you just going to sit on the chair and watch weekend after weekend go by, and people perish without hearing the hope of the gospel message. How do you say I'm not going to sit and let it happen? How do you say I want to make a difference? Miss your hands, then let's pray. God, I just pray and ask that you would stir our lazy hearts and our apathetic spirits. From our self-consumption and our self-focus to, Lord, seeing the people in the surf who are perishing and dying at work and at school in our neighborhoods and our families. God, I pray that in the weeks and months to come, you'll place such a fire in our souls, such such a passion in our hearts that we won't be able to hold still. And we will actively seek, oh God, to make a difference. To see their lives transformed and changed by your gospel and by your spirit. May we be your hands and arms. May we be your mouthpiece and your eyes and your hug and your grace and compassion. And God, I just pray that you will blow the doors off our campuses with so many people who are being rescued and who are being redeemed and who are being transformed that all the glory will send to you and we will come into heaven's gates someday and hear you say, well done, my good and faithful church. In Jesus' name.